Now, as you can see right before you, we are continuing our discussion of the power of positive confession. And it's based on Apostle Price's book by that same name. By the way, how many of you have read that book at some time in the past? Quite a few of you have. So this is, none of this is new to you then today. All right, let's review a few key points that we established last time in our introduction to this message. First of all, we said that the term confession, which is used in the New Testament Bible, comes from the Greek word homologio. And you see it right there, homologio, which means to say the same thing that God says about you and your circumstances. It means to say or speak these things that God has said in his word about you, for you, in the Bible. Now, it goes without saying that everything that God says about us is positive. So it makes a lot of sense for us to speak positively, to line up with God's word. Speaking is so vital because our foundation scripture, all of you know this, Proverbs 18.21, that says death and life are in the power of the tongue. This means that we have the power to speak life to our life or death to our life. And it also means that your life is controlled by your mouth. Now it's interesting that Proverbs 18.21 puts death first. It says death and then life. Power. That's how it's, it's, it's emphasizing to you how important it is what you say and what comes out of your mouth because you don't want to speak the language of death, the language of impossibility, the language that it can't be done, the language that I can't have this or I can't do this. These are all evidences of the language of death. Now, as I said last time, using this principle of power vested in the tongue, you want to develop a habit, meaning a daily habit of speaking life and not death to the circumstances and affairs that constitute your daily life. In other words, you, want to, you don't want to get up in the morning and, and, and the first thing that comes out of your mouth, oh my aching back. <laughs> or some would say, oh my no good aching back. No, you don't want, you don't want to start the day confessing that, you know. Because let's face it, if your back is aching, but the rest of your body is not aching, if your head is not aching, if your feet are not aching, you can rejoice and be glad that not your whole body <laughs> is uh, aching and so forth. And keep in mind that aching came to pass, not to stay. And it only stays if you hold on to it, if you cling to it as my aching back. Don't claim it. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong in your body. Be positive in the way you speak. Now, Apostle Price calls this use of this principle, this principle of speaking life and death, speaking positively, he calls this the power of positive confession. Now, breaking this down, this principle down, we can see right off the top that it has three component parts. Power, positive confession. Now the power comes from the fact that there's power in the tongue to project life or death 
from its source, your mouth. The positive comes from choosing the positive things God says about us in his word. And that's easy because everything he says about us in terms of who we are, what we can do, what we can have, these are all positive. So you speak the positive things uh, about uh, yourself that God says in his word. That's a positive. And confession, again, comes from what we just said, the Greek derivation of the word confession, homologio, uh, which means to say or confess what God says about your life and circumstances. Now, in learning to say what God says about us in his word, we are prompted to speak life to our life because Proverbs 4.22 tells us, for they, and it's referring to God's words, for they are life to those who find them and medicine to all your health. It, it says health to all, I mean health to all their flesh. Health there literally means medicine. So the words that God has given us in the Bible are both life and they are medicine for that aching back or that aching head or whatever is confronting you in the way of a challenge and so forth. Now, in seeking the right word in scripture to have faith on and believe and stand on about your situation, in doing that, you are actually seeking God's will. We can know the will of God by knowing his word in the Bible. You should know by now that his word is his will. And you have his will right there in your lap or on your device. That's his will for you. Now the will of God is whatever God tells you to do in reference to what it is you are believing God for. And we were talking about the, the challenge of illness. We had the healing line. And Elder Iver quoted the scripture that says, by his stripes you were healed. That's God's will for you. And by putting it in the past tense, and we put it also in the present, and in, 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 in Peter talks about this, he says you are healed. So you were and you are. That's what you confess, regardless of whether or not you have an aching back or not. What you do is you say to Satan, you're a lie. By his stripes, I am healed. And you don't let your feelings the feelings of the pain or discomfort or whatever take you away from the reality of the word. The truth about you all the time is that you are whole, well, and wonderful, even if you're not experiencing that at the time. And that is what you need to stand on. That's the truth. That's the reality about you. Now, what you have to do, like the example I gave you about myself in terms of the cancer last week, you have to find scripture and then whatever that scripture tells you to do, hold on to it and do it. And here's a, a, a quick example. Say a husband and wife, they want to get into agreement about the financial success of a business venture they just started. So I can give you two scriptures right off the top that they can stand on. First, the couple can rely on 3 John 1, 2. You're familiar with this scripture. It says, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things. How many things? And be in health, just as your soul prospers. In prayer and in speaking openly, the couple can confess or say something like this. 
Thank you, Father. We know that it is your desire that we prosper in all things, including our business venture. So we receive and agree with your word for the prospering of our new business. And they should confess this daily. Second thing they can do after standing on 3 John 1-2, which is an expression of God's will for the couple, which is to prosper in all things. That's his will for us as well, by the way. The couple could then stand on and do what is found in Matthew 18, 19. And you're familiar with this, where Jesus says, again, this is Jesus speaking, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now, you recognize this as a prayer of agreement. The couple would follow. They're asking for something that is consistent with the word of God taken from uh, 3 John 1, 2, and then getting into agreement for the prospering of their specific business venture as called for by the prayer of agreement found in Matthew 18, 19. So the couple could pray something like this. Father, in your word, you say that if two of us agree on anything, on earth, on anything, we ask, it will be done by you. We are standing in agreement for the financial success of our new business, and we thank you and know that you will honor your word. This is standing on the word of God, which is his will for your life and circumstances. It's an effective use of the power of positive confession. And again, that comes from the Greek word, which means to say the same thing that God says about you and your circumstances. Homologio. Now, since our topic emphasizes the power of positive confession, which involves speaking, I also talked last time about thinking versus speaking. Now, my point last week was not that this was an either-or proposition. Positive thinking or positive thoughts are important to a healthy and productive life, a life of growth, and certainly helps to lead to positive speaking about one's life. Now, because thinking is so important, it is a primary reason we are told in Romans 12, 2 to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is because you're going to get your mind renewed. This is because the mind as part of the soul, the mind as part of the soul, is the seat of your thinking. You renew your mind with knowledge of God's word and with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, with a mind renewed with the word of God, you will definitely be positioned to speak in a more positive manner about your life. In this sense, we find in the word in the Bible, there's a greater emphasis placed on speaking and saying as a primary source of power for shaping your life. Speaking and saying, primary source for shaping your life. That's why you have to guard your mouth and be careful what you say be careful how you speak, be careful what you hear, be careful how you hear, and be careful what you say. Now, in terms of speaking, let's go back to our foundation scripture in Proverbs 18.21, which tells us that life, or that death and life, are in the power of the tongue. This squarely places the control of your life in your mouth, and what comes out of it in terms of speech, and what you say. We touched on the fact last week in Genesis that God demonstrated the power of the spoken word. He demonstrated the word as the most powerful 
creative tool in the universe by speaking the whole world and everything in it by what he said. Let there be. Let there be. Let there be light. And after he said what he said, things came into existence. It doesn't say that God thought there be light or God thought there be this or that. It said God said. So very important that you say that's a requirement. Now I pointed out last time that Jesus continued to stress the importance of confession that is saying and speaking in his ministry. We see the emphasis on confession by Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 verse 32 where he says this Therefore whoever confesses me before men him I will also confess before my Father in heaven. In other words, he's saying, he who speaks or says of his belief in me in front of others, that's what he's talking about in terms of confessing me, I will speak of my belief in him to my Father in heaven. In other words, he'll put in a good word for you. But you have to speak it. You can't think that Jesus is the Son of God or that Jesus is the Messiah and let it stop there. You've got to confess it. Now, we also find, and you'll see this in the next scripture, we find this emphasis placed on confession in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 42, which says, nevertheless, this is at the bottom of the page, John 12, verses 42, which says, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. Many believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him. They did not speak it. They did not say it. Lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Now here we see that many of the rulers believed in him, meaning they thought he was a Messiah, but they would not and did not confess this or say this. Top of page four. Thus, their belief counted for nothing. Jesus clearly indicated that what a person said was more powerful than what the person thought in establishing what the person believed. First of all, if you're just thinking it, how does anyone know what you're believing if it never leaves that stage of development? Now, as stated before, Jesus gave us the perfect example himself of someone who practiced the art and the power of positive confession. We see this in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 28. Where Jesus says, self-control. Did you hear that? What did Jesus say? Self-control. <laughs> he likes me. He always reminds me. He says, say self-control when you're up there. So in the Gospel of John, verse 28, Jesus says this, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. In other words, what Father God taught him, he speaks those things. We study the Word in the Bible so we can learn the things that Father God wants us to learn so that we can speak these things. Remember, Romans 15, 14. Romans 15, 14 tells us that whatever things written before were written for our learning, that we 
through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. They were written for our learning. They were written for our learning so we would know them so we would be able to say them. Now, in using the power of positive confession, we are called upon to follow the same example of Jesus in speaking the things the Father has given to us in his word. And that, of course, is in the Bible. Again, we agree with and say what God says is in his word about our life and circumstances. Now, Jesus echoes his commitment to saying what God says in the Gospel of John. You were just there. The Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 49 and 50, where he tells us this, verse 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. Verse 50, and I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. I said this last time, and I said again this morning, through his command, which is his word, God has given us the words that we should speak. And we know and can know, like Jesus, that God's word is everlasting life and not death. Using the power of positive confession, we are saying and agreeing with these words of life that God has expressed in his inspired scripture about our life and circumstances. But again, to be able to confess or say what God says, you have to study the word and find these things that are life-affirming, words that are in the Bible. I think you can see, and you could see last week, that this series on positive confession is a continuation of the series we just completed. We just completed a series entitled, Why Do We Study the Word from the Bible? In which we talked about how to apply the word to your life. This is just a continuation of that. And we're gonna give you some specifics about things to say. And this will come, uh, you're, you're learning some today, but you'll learn a lot more before this series is over. And these are all in the Bible. Uh, we couldn't tell them to you or point them out to you if they were not in the Bible. And we didn't write the Bible last week. It's been around for some time. Now, let's look at it again at another verse of scripture that we looked at last time that deals with confession. This scripture is found in Mark eleven twenty three. 23. Very familiar where Jesus says this. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, I have a question. Where do we see the will of God in this statement from Jesus? Well, Apostle Price answers it for us. According to Apostle Price, the will of God is that you have to say it with your mouth and believe it in your heart without any doubt. That's the will of God. To say it with your mouth, believe it with your heart, and have no doubt. That's the will of God. As, re as a result of doing God's will, Jesus says, he or you will have whatever he or you says. Notice that Jesus does not say you will have whatever you think, and he does not say you'll have whatever you need. He says you will have whatever you say. Now, second thing that we see in this verse 
in Mark 11:23. And this is important is that Jesus is enunciating a law. Did I just go dead? He's telling us, am I back? Go ahead. He's telling us, it sounds like we're back. He's telling us, must have been something I said there that the devil didn't want you to hear. Anyway, to repeat, Jesus is telling us this. This is a law. This is a law. And what, what is the law? The law is the same thing as we said before. But the law specifically is what Jesus says in this scripture. He says, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says and does not doubt in his heart but believes, those things that he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. Again, he's stating the law. The law and I, re I represent this to you in formula or equation right below. S plus B equals A. Saying plus believing equals achieving it. Saying plus believing equals achieving. It's important to understand that since this is a law, the law is what we call inexorable. Now, what inexorable means, and you can look it up later for yourself, inexorable means that First of all, it's continuous, it doesn't stop, nothing can stop it. It's working whether you know it's working or not. It's always at work, it's just like gravity. Gravity, when you are walking down the steps, which I must have forgotten one day because I slid down them, there was ice on the step, black ice. Anyway, you don't open your door and you see the steps and you say, okay, gravity now, I wanna let you know that I'm gonna walk down the steps, I want you to hold me up. No, gravity is there. Same thing as this law. This law is there whether you are aware of it or not and also whether you use it or not. Now, what this means is that the law is working, as I said, whether you are aware of it or not. It also means this, and Apostle Price points this out. It means that the law will work for sinners as well as for Christians. See, when it's a law, meaning it's inexorable, it'll work for whoever uses it. The law of sowing and reaping is also a law. And it works whether you are a sinner or a Christian. There are so many people who are philanthropic, who give and give and give, and they do well because either knowingly or unknowingly, they are obeying the law of sowing and reaping. That's what a law means. Uh, but Apostle says this about the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. He says the difference is for the non-Christian is that there's no life in it, but it still will work. And it's like the principle of mathematics, where two plus two equals four all the time, whether a sinner or a Christian is doing the adding. By the way, speaking of gravity, if you are saved, washed with the blood, tongue talking, and everything else that you can say about yourself that constitutes being a good Christian believer, if you go up on the top of this building and you dump, jump at the same time with a heathen who doesn't believe anything, you too will fall at the same time and have the same result. You both will be splattered all over 34th Street or 8th Avenue. That's what the law means. It means it works for or against whomever, so forth. So, so because it's a law, uh, 
you have to, uh, I guess I turned the page, did I turn the page? Yeah. You have to realize that the law of saying and believing is that it works whether it is said in negative or positive terms, whether said in negative and harmful terms or said in positive or helpful terms. So it can work for you or against you. That's why you have to, as Ellen Iver taught, watch your mouth. It is not even a good idea to joke in the negative. For example, and you've heard people say this because I sure have, a person who made a mistake, maybe a simple mistake, and they'll say something like this, I can't get anything right. I'm just a stupid, ignorant mess. Now, and they say it with such emphasis because at that time they are really agitated. And the person might say later, well, you know, I was really just kidding. But you have to be careful about what you say because, as I say, the law can't take a joke. You say it, and you say it emphatically, with emphasis, it will immediately go to work to produce in the outer what you said emphatically by yourself, out of your mouth, and so forth. You have to be careful about saying things like, I will never get that promotion because I can't pass the test. What happens is that with your mouth, you are establishing an instant law for yourself with respect to this particular situation by what you say. If you say, I can't or I won't ever be able to pass the test, guess what? You can't or you won't ever be able to pass the test. You have to speak positively and say, I'm going to put in the studying time and the time it takes for me to pass. If I don't pass the first time, I'll take it again and again until I pass. I know I can pass this test. So, that is why the warning is given to us in Proverbs 6.2, another familiar scripture about speaking. Proverbs 6.2 says this, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. You become snared, that is trapped by the words that come out of your mouth in so many ways, if you're not careful. Old habits of saying negative things distract from the truth about your situation. The word tells us that by his stripes we are healed. Yet you can negate this by saying flu season is expected to be the worst this year and they say people my age are likely victims. I'm afraid that I will get it because so many people around me have it already. You're confessing a negative and so forth. Instead of saying it shall not come nigh to me. It shall not come nigh to my house. It shall not come nigh to me. This is the kind of trap your mouth sets for you that Proverbs 6.2 warns against. Now, what you have done with this and with other negative speech is to give Satan an opening to use what you say against you in the court of life. This is a trap. Remember, we're told this in 1 Peter 5.8. You have it at the bottom of the page. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring, a roaring lion. He walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now, the way certain works is to constantly feed your mind with thoughts, ideas, and suggestions that bring up your fears about getting the flu or some other illness or suffering some other mishap or having some other challenge. He reminds you that this is what happened to somebody else in your family. This is what somebody else in your family died uh, uh, at about the same age as you are. He brings that to mind. Satan can't put this illness or the flu on you, but he can use the words of your mouth over and over again 
to pollute your mind with the ideas, idea of getting sick until it becomes a reality. And it will become a reality unless you become vigilant and put a check on your mouth, which in turn will put a check on Satan's influence. Now, additionally, realizing that you are dealing with a law, that's the law of believing and saying, the Christian believer needs to learn how to be positive and speak positively, as I said earlier. The power of positive confession in line with God's word will change your circumstances in a positive way. Develop a habit of speaking positively and you won't even have to worry about slipping up and saying something that is negative and potentially destructive. The bottom line is you can have what you say. You can have what you say. Now, let's take another look at Mark eleven twenty three, And you'll readily see the importance Jesus places on saying. We just read this. We'll read it again. He says, for surely, this is Mark eleven twenty three. for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, and you see a number one there, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes, you see a one there, that those things he says, you'll see two there, he says will be done, he will have whatever he says, you'll see three there. What I'm pointing to is a ratio in this statement by Jesus, the ratio between believe and saying. It's three to one. He mentions believe once. He mentions says three times. This is a realization that it's easier for a person to believe because people we have seen down through the years will believe anything. They'll believe a lie. They'll believe a political lie. They'll believe a political promise. They'll believe there's a certain number of people who will believe almost anything uh, that they hear. However, Jesus knew that people would have a greater difficulty saying something that they could not see in front of them. A greater difficulty of saying something that they could not see. In other words, you're not, not going to say, I believe that I'm healed or by stripes I'm healed if you're sitting there riding in pain. I mean, that's the case for many people. The old saying that seeing is believing and what you see is what you get holds sway over most people. But let me say this. First of all, seeing is believing has never been a true statement. Now, why is that true? Seeing is believing. You know why it's not true? Because seeing is not believing. Seeing is knowing. That's why I asked the question here before, and I'll, I'll ask it again this morning, and, and don't get trapped up on this. How many of you believe that I'm here standing before you teaching? I think everybody has learned. I've used this about three times. In the previous times, a number of hands go up and say, I believe you're there. No, you don't believe I'm here. You know I'm here, so forth. So seeing is not believing. Seeing is knowing. So that statement has never been true, but people say that. Top of page eight. It becomes a real act of faith for people to accept that believing is knowing and what you say is what you get, not what you see is what you get. But this is a faith that is expected of a Christian believer. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Now to walk by faith is to walk by what God says in his word. A true confession of, a true confession of faith always lines up and agrees with what uh, the word of God says. Your confession of faith always lines up with what the word says. What you confess or say with your mouth is your faith speaking. What you confess or what you say with your mouth 
is an expression of your faith speaking and it will reveal whether your faith is weak or strong. You can measure a person by their words. We see this in Mark 12, 34. You have it right there, Mark 12, 34, where Jesus says this, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is in your heart in abundance will come out through your mouth. And you see this over and over with people. You see it with people in public life. When they blurt out something, that is negative because that's what's really in their heart. Out of the abundance of your heart. I mean, I'm sorry, whatever out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Remember, when confession agrees with the word of God, then, then and only then will you receive what God has promised you. When your confession agrees with the word of God, then and only then will you receive what God has promised you. As stated above, a true confession of faith is always based on the word of the living God. That is why Satan does everything to rob you of your faith in the word and rob you of your knowledge of the word. And you do it in so many simple ways. For example, as soon as you start reading the Bible, you get drowsy and sleepy and so forth. This is Satan at work using your laziness <laughs> to rob you from learning the word and so forth. Now, I want you to pay real close attention to this statement by Apostle Price right here. This paragraph from Apostle Price sums up why we study the word in the Bible and how to apply the word to our life. Listen to this or read it along with me. God has designed his system to work by his word. That is what the Bible is for. God gave us his word so that we would know his word so we would believe his word so that we would say his word so that he would confirm his word in our lives this is the way God's system works this is why you need to learn the word in the Bible and learn how to apply that word to your life I'm going to read that again God has designed his system to work by his word that is what the Bible is for God gave us his word so we could know his word so we would believe his word and so that we would say his word so that he would confirm his word in our lives. This is the way this God's system works. Now as believers, we are encouraged to know, believe, and say the word of God so he can confirm his word. And I pointed this scripture out to you last week and we'll look at it again in Mark 16 and I'll give you both scriptures today. Mark 16 verses 19 to 20. God's word in the Bible tells us the following. Verse 19, this is Mark chapter 16, verse 19 and 20. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, speaking to the disciples, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Where is he today? Right hand of God, okay. 20, and they, again the disciples, went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Now, I pointed this out last week. I'll point it out again. Notice what the scripture does not say. It did not say he confirmed the people. It said they preached the word, but God did not confirm them that preached the word. God confirmed his word that was preached. In other words, when you preach, speak, say, or confess the word of God, 
God is honor bound to confess that word. You can actually put him in remembrance. You can say, Father, I'm putting you in remembrance that you said that all my needs will be met according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And then he would remind you that giving comes before that. <laughs> no, it, it, it. no, I'm reminding you of that. I've told you this before. People cite uh, uh, Philippians 4.19 and they cite that, but they don't study the scriptures before that 18 and 17 and 16. What Apostle Paul is talking about in that verse, he's thanking the Philippians for their generosity and supporting the ministry and supporting him as a, gospel, as, a, as a minister of the gospel. And he's thanking them. He's saying that even when I was in uh, uh, Thessalonica, where those Thessalonians weren't doing as well as you, you sent me support there. That's what comes before this. After he thanks them for what they did and gives them examples of what they did, then he says, and my God shall supply. Remember I said, and is a conjunction, and is connected with what went before. So when you put God in remembrance of the fact that he's supposed to supply all your need or every need of yours according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, uh, make sure you have done the giving and the sowing before, okay? Now, normally, a person wants to see a sign before they believe. God's system is designed for us to believe the word first. Then we will see his signs following. That's the signs of healing, prosperity, wisdom, or whatever you're believing God's word for. To see the signs following, we must follow the law of believing and saying, and saying what God says first in his word. Now, in terms of God's word, it's, it's a comfort for us, and it's good for us to know as believers that the Bible tells us point blank that it's impossible for God to lie. I'll give you two scriptures here. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, Numbers 23, verse 19, the Bible says this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? In Hebrews 6, 18, the Bible says this, that by two immutable things, two unchanging things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, strong comfort, who have fled for refuge, fled for refuge, seeking consolation and comfort, to lay hold of the hope set before us. It's impossible for God to lie. Since God cannot lie, if he says something about me, then that must be who I am. It must be what I am or what I have, and it must be what I can do. And we'll talk more about these later in this series. If God says I can do it, I can do it. If God says I have it, I have it. If God says that's who I am, then that's who I am. On this subject, Apostle Price says this. At the time I found out what God says about me or the situation, I might not be, oh, he said, let me just, let me start this over. At the time I found out what God says about me or the situation, I might not be experiencing any of it in my personal life. As I said before, when you realize that by his stripes you are healed, you may not be experiencing that healing and wellness at the point. Pastor Bryce goes on, he says, however, that is irrelevant and immaterial. What the word of God says about me is still who I am because God 
sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. He doesn't, he doesn't see you in a static position where you're suffering or sick or whatever. He sees the total picture. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees completeness. And in completeness, you're always whole and well and wonderful, even if you stub your toe or break your arm, get a headache, and so on. You're still whole and well and wonderful. That's the end result. Now, to repeat, what God said about you in terms of who you are, what you have, and what you can do is always the truth about you. It is a reality of you no matter what you appear to be. You move yourself into the visible manifestation of God's reality about you when you get to know what his word says about you. And then you believe this word and you speak this word about you and your situation. So being sick, poor, friendless, loveless, or weak is only the appearance of you that is seen and experienced at the moment. I'm not saying you don't have the pain. You know, it, it, as, as I've said before, that pain is reality. It's not finality. It's what's appearing at the moment. Look at what God's word tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. And you're familiar with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says that the things which are seen are temporal, meaning temporary, which means that they are all subject to change. That's what that means. You can hasten this change in your life through the power of positive confession, confessing what you know about God's word, what you believe, and what you say. What Apostle says about his experience with this law of confession gives us a good example of its reality and impact in transforming one's life. This is what Apostle Price says at the bottom of the page. He says, even though I began to operate in this law of confession, it sounded strange to me when I first heard it. How could what I say have anything to do with what I have and what I experience in my life? However, God said it, so I began to say it. God said it, so I began to say it. I said, this is what he's saying, I said to myself, I don't have anything to lose. I'm already down for the count. The enemy's standing on my chest with his boot on my neck. And this was true. And I'll take a second or two to remind you that I had absolutely nothing to lose. More than 30 years ago, that's when he's writing a book, is more than 30 years at this point. More than 30 years ago, I began saying what God said, and I'm telling you the truth, it was miraculous. The change that took place in my personal life was miraculous. As a result, I'm committed to the proposition that this is one of the most important truths that God has revealed to us as in word, and yet it is so misunderstood. And we'll talk about that misunderstanding next week. But let me just say a little bit, no, I, I, I'll take another minute. Uh, when he says that uh, he was down and out and the enemy had his foot on his neck, I was around in those days. Apostle Price suffered bankruptcy. He had to declare bankruptcy. So many things that he had purchased, car, television, new set of Encyclopedia Britannicas, you know, go down, they were all repossessed. These were the days when they would come and repossess what you didn't pay for today. They just let you keep it and they pass on the cost uh, of what you didn't pay to the rest of us. I remember going to visit them and where he was staying was in, he was, a so, he was an associate pastor at one of the most prominent Baptist churches in Los Angeles. He was living in a parish house down the street from the church. 
I went, so he was a minister of the gospel. I, I go, I'm going from school. And I said, while I'm there, I can look up some things in the Encyclopedia Britannica because I'm writing a paper. I got there, the Britannicas were gone. It looked like they had been robbed. Everything had been cleaned out. It had been repossessed. That's how far down he was uh, and so on. So as he said, I have nothing to lose. He started standing on the word, but he also took action. He started sowing. He started giving. He and Dr. Betty started giving and he started confessing what the word says. And you've heard me say this before. He was walking around the house saying, all my needs are met. I am rich. Everything I need, I have. By his stripes, I'm healed. But he was speaking in, in that term more about his material needs being met. And as I said, the girls were pretty young then and they were thinking that maybe he's crazy because they were looking around and it didn't look like all their needs were met and so forth. I mean, I remember the drapes were tattered, things needed repairing and so forth. But let me ex explain to you why they were tattered. Plus, Dr. Betty have always been very neat about their life and the house and they would immediately replace something. What they decided is that we're gonna get out of debt. We're going to stop spending and not use credit cards. So they stopped doing anything until they reached the point where they were debt free. So this is, this is what they did. There are things you do in the natural and there are things you do in terms of the word. And the word you give in the natural, you stop spending uh, for the moment. So this is true. Now, we are at an end, but I want to take you back to page eight. And we're going to read one more time and I'm going to commend to you that you read this paragraph from Apostle Price once a day or more if you want for the next seven days. And I'm going to read it again. God has designed his system to work by his word. That is what the Bible is for. God gave us his word so that we would know his word, so that we would believe his word, so that we would say his word so that he would confirm his word in our lives. This is the way God's system works. Read this, commit it, and then act on this. And I'll see you next time.